Hey everyone, it's Joe. Welcome to another episode of the Future Business Analyst podcast. My guest today is Paula Bell, CEO of Paula A. Bell Consulting. She is a business analyst, leadership and career development coach, a consultant, a speaker and author. And with 21 years of experience in corporate America across various project roles covering everything from business analysis, project management, development, testing and implementation. The whole spread. Welcome to the show, Paula. Thank you, Joe. This is weird. Usually I'm co-hosting with you. So now it's like the tables have turned. So this should be an interesting interview. I feel like I'm, I need to default to some of our usual phrases from the other pot, but I'll try and stick on future business analyst brand here. Um, All right. That was quite a spread, right? PM, mm. BA, development, test. Which mm -hmm. one of those came first? How did you get into this role? Sure. The first one was I was a developer. I used to develop web pages. So when I was in college, I actually worked for Preview Networks, which is now known as the TV Guy channel, um, if it's still even known as that. But when I was in Oklahoma, that's where I learned. I, I ended up with an internship there. And one of the things that we had to do was manage and build websites for their account clients and customers. So that's where I started. And when I graduated from college, I continued on that path when I started to work for Shaw Industries, which at the time was the number one carpet manufacturer in the world. And so I worked for them. And I was an integration specialist where, in my mind, I did everything nobody else wanted to do. So I was a developer, the tester, the trainer, and all of that. So it all started with development first. Okay. And carpets. What an interesting place to start. <laughs> carpet. Yes, I was in the carpet manufacturing industry. There's a lot that goes into carpet now. There's, it's, there's a lot to that. I can't remember it all, but there's a lot to it. Yeah, there, there always is. Whenever I speak to people about the particular industries, there's there's always these sort of very unique nuances about about work and things like that. Okay, mm -hmm. so so dev integration. How how did that lead you into business analysis? Sort of how did you get a foot in, into this space? So you know what's interesting about that. So I really thought I was going to be working at Shaw Industries. That was going to be my career. That was where I was going to be. That's where I was going to stay. I was in Georgia. I loved the Atlanta area. It was the hot spot for tech. It was great. And so I did that for a while. And then there was an opportunity that opened up and it was an administrator over the Tivoli application that they had. So I moved into that. However, I ended up getting laid off. I ended up getting laid off a year after I got that position. They started to do cuts. And so I got laid off. And then I was just looking for something, you know, just like you do. You just look for a job. Mm. So I actually worked for a grocery store for a while, which was kind of interesting. I was a cashier. I just, you know, do you got to do what you got to do. You have to pay your bills. Yeah. And I ended up landing a contract position in North Carolina at the administrative office of the courts, working for the court system. And I started off as a help desk analyst. So I pretty much solved the judges, public defenders, DAs, magistrates problems with their computers. But then they had brought in the business to technology group, B2T. And I'm, I know you're familiar with B2T because that's yeah. what Coop work for, right? Yeah. And they brought them in and they did this BA training. They just offered it to us. And 
I didn't really know anything about business analysis. I didn't know what it was. I didn't even know I was doing it before then. And so we went through this rigorous training course and I got certified as a BA and then I started doing BA work. And that's actually how I got into business analysis. It was very natural for me. I didn't have to work at it. It just came naturally. And I liked it. I liked being in the details and not having to develop anything, but I could tell the developers what we needed. So it was a good segue sort of change for me. Yeah, it sounds like you, you, you just did it step by step, sort of. It was like development to integration, um, sort of working your way up the SDLC, then a bit of a leap into sort of help desk and support, which is great because you've got a couple of different perspectives on, on, on the kind of problems that people have now. And how fortuitous that B2T would turn up and um, you'd, you'd right. get your badge, right? So... Exactly. Um, so when you first started in that role, sort of what did that look like? What did a BA do in that space back then? Well, you know, the BA was actually a mix of a business analyst, a tester, a trainer, and a little bit of development. So I did a little bit of all of those because it was really new. The organization really didn't know how to effectively leverage the skill sets because it was a new thing. And so I just pretty much did whatever I could do to add value because I didn't want to go back through a layoff. It's not a good feeling to be laid off. I didn't have to go back through that again. And so I wanted something that was a little bit more stable. And at that time, I was also building a family. So I had my twins. So, you know, when you have family, your whole perspective shifts and you want that stability. So for me, it was not only understanding the needs of my clients, because I worked with external clients at that point in time and internal, but also understanding this, this software enough to understand what we, what was feasible and what wasn't feasible because I was a database administrator too. I was creating a lot of the databases. So they wanted somebody who knew SQL. And this was back in the early 2000s. So it wasn't, I mean, it's still a need today that I see from a SQL perspective, right? So it wasn't, it wasn't that much different than what we're experiencing now. And so I just learned everything I could learn and did everything I could, I could do. And then when I got further and progressed in my career, I started to work with companies that had a little bit more maturity in the project management space. So some of them had project management methodology. Some of them needed them built. I was able to just be a person who could navigate through all of that and either build things from the floor up or come in and enhance things that were already built. Okay. Okay. You're making me think here. I'm thinking back as well. I mean, I've worn that sort of BA slash PM hat a few times. I've worn that sort of BA slash tester hat a few times as well. And often I think that takes place when it's in a smaller organization, when they can't quite afford the full suite, you know, and, and have all of those roles independently. But when I think back, they were actually in large organizations that, that I held those positions. And now I'm hearing you, you know, you've got four or five hats maybe on in these places. Do you think mm-hmm. things have changed? I mean, my, my perception is that now we have a particular role, that we don't fill multiple roles quite as officially do do you feel the same now i think it really depends on where you are so with some of the clients that i work through through my consulting company they are still doing what i did back in the day they're still ba pm mesh or the organization doesn't know how to fit them into the organization to add value so there's a struggle 
There's no formal sort of methodology, no formal sort of approach to do this sort of work. So they're trying to figure out what should my role be? Is this really what a BA should do? Or is this really what a PM should do? Or is this really what the testing team should do? So I do think there's still some of that going going around. Now, what I will tell you that I'm seeing is some of like the trending as I look back, right? So you I did, remember when I was coming- You're gonna do the segue for me, are you? Fantastic. Yeah, well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well yeah, I, I think it fits really well because I remember when I was when I was doing business analysis, the biggest thing was waterfall and iterative. Yeah. That was the biggest thing, right? So how do you do uh, the project management approach more in an iterative manner? Then you come in and you see waterfall and agile. So agile was a real hot topic that came in and it's still a topic that came in. Now let's throw on artificial intelligence on top of that. Now, mind you, artificial intelligence isn't new to me. Yeah. Right. But it is getting a lot more attention because of the value that artificial intelligence can bring to the, the role of a business analyst. So I still think that there are people in different areas of maturity. And I'm not here to say one is right versus the other. I do believe it depends on your organization and what your organizational culture can handle and who the stakeholders are in there. Are there more efficient ways to do things? Yes. Uh, does that mean you're doing that right now? You may be, you may be not. You might need to get to that maturity level to do that. And that's a culture thing. It's, it's really how the organizational culture is structured. It will depend on how easy or hard it is for you to navigate and get work done. And culture is not something you can change overnight. That takes some time. So I do think there's some of, I still see some of the same things that I was talking about back in the early 2000s. And then I see that there's new things that have come out that are of interest as well. Yeah, I mean, not not every place is going to move at the same speed as everybody else. There's always going to be some people who are sort of more advanced while others are sort of just hanging around a little bit longer in a particular space. Um, you mentioned AI there as being one trend. What other trends might you see that are coming well, Agile hasn't changed. Agile is still a trend. You still see it. You still see a lot of conversation around that. Salesforce is another one that I see a lot of, but that's more of a CRM sort of thing. But there are individuals who just like to work in a Salesforce environment. Remote work is huge mm. uh, right now. Being able, since of what happened in 2020, being having that flexibility to be able to work remotely instead of being in, in an office is still a consideration and is still something that that individuals either they really liked or they didn't like or they were somewhere in in the middle but right now i think the hottest trend that i see is ai yeah. is artificial intelligence that's just everywhere right mm. i also don't sleep on data analytics though either because data analytics was real hot and i still think it is hot i just think artificial intelligence has a uh, taken the forefront a little bit right now, but yeah. data is really, really huge as a trend that I see for business analysts. And again, when I was coming up in my career, database administrators managed the data. I was one of them. I was a DBA. I don't see that as much. I see that role being meshed into many other roles with the expectation that you should know it. And then one other thing I would like to mention that I think should be a trend if it's not one is risk management. <laughs> risk management is huge. Depending on the organization, well, the industry you work in, I worked in a, the financial industry, which was very regulated. 
right? You have to be really careful when you are building solutions that you are not putting the organization at risk. It's not just about the time and the budget anymore. It's about operational risk, reputational risk, those sort of things, security risk, right? Those sort of things that can really get you in trouble. So as a BA, you need to be thinking about that too. As, as I'm gathering these requirements and, and organizing them for my elicitation, am I putting the organization at any risk if we build it a certain way? or if it's implemented a certain way and having that sort of thought process is important as well yeah well let, let's start making risk management a trend right um it's definitely important uh yeah finance is heavily regulated i mean they've got so many different pieces of legislation that, that are sort of constraining and, and just ensuring um AI, absolutely, there's going to be a lot of risk there. Um, perhaps one that I'll also just um, put on top is sort of a societal, a sort of community community kind of risk. You know, as an organisation, you need to be doing the right things for people, for planet, that kind of thing. And, of course, if you make an incorrect decision, then your reputation, um, again... NGS Data, um, DBAs sort of looked after the, let's call it the housing of data, storage, right? Perhaps the ownership of data now is a little bit different. It's like owning the actual number, owning the value, understanding what it is that that means, the implication of it, of course, and, and driving it to be a better number than what it is. So... There's a lot of niche roles coming out around data analysis. I mean, the one that just jumps to my mind here is data scientists. Do you see that this is being a split off from the BA into a niche? Or do you see this as being another sort of string to the BA's bow? I think I see both. I think I actually see both. I see it where depending on the organization and depending on the resources, the budget, the things that the organization has at their fingertips, if it allows them to have someone that's focused on data analytics, data science, yes, I would see that as a group that they would have. But I also see that if you don't have those resources or that budget available to you, but you know you need that sort of information, where is that value gonna lie? It's gonna lie on somebody like a business analyst could potentially even be a project manager. And so, or or technology, it could be somebody in tech. It could land in so many different areas in the organization. So I do see that as potentially being a niche and potentially being off. Just like we have, uh, you have the term agile BA and then you have just business analyst, right? I, I can see it splitting off in, into something like that. Uh, what I do find interesting, though, is you have an agile BA, but I don't think I've ever seen a process BA, right? I mean, a lot of people well, do process and have yeah. you seen like a process BA? I don't know if I've no. seen that, but, <laughs> but I, I, I mean, I have come across specialists, sort of process business analysts. Um, mm. Yeah, but there was no such thing as a waterfall BA, you know, or a green screen BA, right. or a legacy BA, yeah. or or mm. anything like that. Um, you know, as you're talking about this, and in, in sort of, I think you know you're doing that typical BA answer, aren't you, Joe? It depends, doesn't it, Joe? You know, I can see both happening, which 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 is a fair answer. And now I'm thinking, like, the question is, I almost feel like there's maybe two questions. One is where does the business analyst fit into organisations, and the other question is where does business analysis fit into organisations? Yeah. Because of course they're different things, and they're going to be implemented differently, right? 
Okay, so let's start with business analysis first. I think the business analyst one is a little bit tougher. So let's start okay. with business analysis first, right? So if you think about business analysis, you think about the skill. So I don't necessarily look at it more as a, a, a title or, or even a role per se, because so many people use the term business analysis business analysts, business systems consultant. I mean, there's so many titles for it, right? But if I think of business analysis, I do believe there's fundamental things you need to do in business analysis, right? When it originally started, business analysis was simply the liaison between the business and the technology team. You needed somebody in the middle to explain what your stakeholders over here needed in a way that technology could build it. Right. And so with that, there's a lot of things that come with that. You have to be organized. You have to be detail oriented. You have to have critical thinking, analytical thinking, strong communication, verbal and in writing. You have to have the ability to build relationships. You need to have the ability to collaborate. You need to have the ability to influence. There there are more of the and this is why I've always said, and this is not a stat that's out there in the world. This is a Paula Bell made up stat. 80% of what I've done in the business analysis world has been soft skills or what I call the critical skills. The technical stuff is great, but if I can't build those relationships, if I can't communicate, if I can't get people, influence people to buy in, if I can't help people make decisions, I'm not going to be successful in business analysis because that's what it does. It helps you analyze the business and build these transformational solutions. Business analysts. Now, business analysts, I personally feel need to have certain skills. Again, you need to have all the soft skills, right? I've watched business analysts who can recite stuff out the BA Bach or who can solve problems or who are just really smart, but their communication is lacking. They can't either communicate verbally or in writing or they come off as non-humble that people don't want to work with them, right? So they yeah. come off and they don't, they don't have that emotional intelligence, which is really, really important. So for, as a business analyst perspective, I still believe you have to demonstrate the value you bring. But at the end of the day, this is how I sum it all up. We're here to solve problems. And we're here to solve problems to transform organizations that not only impact the bottom line of the organization, but impact the customers that we serve and the internal stakeholders as well. So if we're doing that, we're doing pretty good. Right. If, if we're able to actually get projects through the pipeline and make transformational changes mm. where a project held up for 10 years and you're still on the same project 10 years later, you're doing pretty good. But as far as for me and a business analyst, you have to demonstrate the value that you are providing to the company on business analysis. So if I can't demonstrate my value, I'm doing the discipline of business analysis a disservice. So that's just how I look at it. I'm real simple, Joe. All of this extra that we be doing sometimes, make, <laughs> making things sound so complicated, yeah. to me, it's really not that complicated. We are here to solve a problem. Yeah. How do you solve problems, right? How do you transform organizations? And then how do you use that critical thinking and analytical thinking to mitigate risk, to think of things that won't work well, to think of those things that other people aren't thinking about because they're in the job day in and day out, which I think is the powerful part of business analysis. As long as you're not the SME per se, because I know we've had that conversation as well, where people are actually the SME doing the work yeah. in the business analysis. But if you're that third party looking in, that is so powerful mm. because you're going to bring up stuff that other people aren't going to see because they're in it day in and day out. So they're just going through the motions where you can actually bring that expertise of that challenging 
that credible challenge on why are we really doing it this way? Why are we, why do we have 15 handoffs when we only need two? You know, those sort of things. So that would be my, my answer to that. I agree. Business analysis and business analysis are two different things. Two different things, yeah. And they're both going to find a place and they're going to be different places. And I think that's why we're going to have these sort of specialist niche roles because that's Mm -hmm. a form of business analysis finding a very particular hole to reside in. And then we're going to have the more sort of general business analyst, as you say, is going to be more broadly perhaps driving this sort of change, solving these problems, transforming um, and things like that. You, I, I completely agree with you that you know the job is more about that that emotional intelligence, those soft skills to building a rapport. I mean, I'm not going to list them again. You, you you listed down all of those things that that, that we have on on the job description, and uh, two two things jump out to me about that. Um, and, and where you compared the eighty percent of that to the twenty percent of the tech, let's say, that's our advantage over AI for a start, right? Surely. Um, do you see AI ever being able to replace soft skills, get close to it? No, I personally think, again, this is just Paula Bell speaking. I personally think you need that human interaction. Think about it. So remember back in our day, now that we're that old, so I'm not trying to say we're old, but remember <laughs> back in the day when social media wasn't this prevalent? Yeah. where you actually had to have conversations at the dinner table or you actually had to have conversations with your friends or you would go outside and you would play in the playground and you're talking to your friends or you would if you're lucky enough like go to a movie go skating do those things and now that social media is in a lot of people hide behind social media mm. right and so some people say things that they normally wouldn't say in your face i've even seen a difference in how people write people write the way they text so texting right takes away a lot of the grammatical side of it and all of that and so you're so ingrained in texting and things like that that you can't shut that off to actually write a letter right back in the day we used to write letters to people that that was interesting you put a stamp on it and you would actually kill it (laughs) yeah i mean it it, it was that thing and it's amazing to me how many people don't know how to how to do letters now or how many people don't know how to write in cursive so i don't there's there's a there's pros and cons to ai i love ai as a tool that i can use to help me brainstorm to help me think through things and whatnot but at the end of the day in order for me to get the answer i want i need to under i need to understand how to ask the question in a way that i'll get the answer that i want so there's still some sort of interaction there and i don't think we can ever take away the human interaction I, I believe it's always going to be some level of human interaction that's going to be needed. I hope we're not all robots walking around here at some point in time and we're just like just walking computer systems. But I personally feel that there's going to there still needs that human interaction and people still need it to this day. If you even think back to 2020, how some people hated working remotely, right? Mm. They need to have that social aspect mm. in their life. And there's some of us who just loved it, right? Mm. They were like, we don't need all that social. So I do think there's always going to be people who need that that social interaction. And some of the best sessions that I've had from business analysis has been when we are all in a room together, yeah. can read the body language, can yeah. see what people are thinking, you can tell when people are confused, yeah. opposed to being virtual all the time. So Personally, I hope we don't get rid of that. I really believe AI is a tool. I like the way uh, Fabricio said it. AI is your partner. Yeah. So it's 
it's, it's sort of like that silent partner that nobody knows is there that you can talk to <laughs> that won't judge you that yeah. won't make fun of you right you can ask it any question it's going to give you an answer so you don't feel like there's any sort of stupid question or anything mm-hmm. like that but then there's also that human interaction that's that's still needed so i just look at ai as a tool i'm not getting it i mean it just reminds me of any, with any other new thing that comes out you know yeah. is that going to take oh is agile going to take our jobs because now we're going to be building stuff more efficiently and now i'm going to be out of a job we're still here y'all so no it's probably yeah. not going to take there's always new opportunity like um, solving problems breeds new problems to solve right so if you're a problem solver there's always going to be a new problem over the horizon that you can't quite see the 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 other half so back to this 80 20 the 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 other half and 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 i'm not going to argue your like percentage ratio here but do you feel like our knowledge and expertise in tech is going to have to improve? Yes, I do. I do. I, I do. If you just look at even where we're going, everything's technology based um, at this point, right? Everything we do is tech. Even our kids, our kids know tech probably better, some of the tech better than we do. Yeah. I, I don't think we're going to get around that. And I always think that tech is always going to be evolving. It's evolved from since I've been in that career of technology. So, yes, I do think that you will have to know tech. I do think we have to think about how the level you have to know of tech. So I literally just wrote an article about this. What technology should I know as a BA? And okay. and again, I'm going to say it depends. The reason why I say it depends, it depends on your industry. If you are in a financial industry that's requiring you to know certain financial systems, then yeah, you should know that technology. That's where you should focus. If that's where you choose, you want your career to go. So it's all about evaluating the industries that you enjoy, what you're doing today, and what technology or upcoming technology is coming. And don't be scared of technology. Embrace it. And so it takes you longer to learn it. That's fine. It takes all of us different. We all have different yeah. learning stages, right? Learn it and do it on your own time, right? Do it before it becomes a critical flaw in your career, right? So all of us know AI is hot. All of us know it. It's one of the biggest trending topics right now. What are you doing to at least understand it mm. and at least understand the benefits of it? Do you need to be a an AI prompt coder? No, right? You don't have to do that, but you do have to know how can it be used within your particular organization or your usage. And I think that's with anything. I remember when Java was hot. Yeah. I mean, we went from like COBOL to Java and everybody say, every developer, oh, you got to learn Java, right? You got to learn that. You got to learn that. And so it's that stuff's always going to evolve. Things are always going to come out. It just depends on your mindset. How do you think about it? Are you going to have this growth mindset that, yes, I'm going to continue to learn? Are you going to have this fixed mindset? I don't want to deal with it. Well, if you have the fixed mindset, your career may not go as well as you want it to go. <laughs> That's the best advice I can give you. You've done it again. I'm like, I'm going to lead into mindsets now and ask Paula, <laughs> what kinds of mindsets does she think are going to be important to have in the future? So let me ask you, Paula, what mindsets do we need? To- <laughs> so I, I have a few. Um, growth mindset is definitely one. The growth okay. mindset is the the mindset that you are evolving. You are constantly learning so that you continue to add, add more and more value. 
Um, but you also have to understand with the growth mindset, you do have to have boundaries. So you need to understand like how much do you want to learn, what your priorities are in life and all of that good stuff. Uh, I also think you need to have a mindset of gratitude. Uh, be grateful for what you have and be grateful for what you've achieved. I do believe that we put a lot of stress on ourselves yeah. uh, based on society, based on what other people think you should be doing or where you should be in your career. It's it's nice to just take a moment every day and just be grateful. You know what? I'm grateful I just woke up this morning because there's probably some people who did not. I'm grateful that my family's still intact because I'm quite sure somebody probably lost a family member last night. Mm. You know, just having, just being grateful for those, for those little things in, in life that you might not feel make a difference, but it does make a big difference. An abundance mindset. Here's something that I want to mention. It's not about the competition. There's enough in this world for everybody. So if you find that you are more stressed out because you're competing, with other people who probably don't really give you a thought during the day, uh, you're putting more energy into it than they are. Just know that what is for you is for you. No one can take that away. Joe, if you have a vision, I can't execute your vision because it's your vision. Even if I were to take your idea and try and do something with it, it's still not going to be delivered like you would deliver it because it's your vision. And so have that abundance mindset that we can all exist. So you don't have to show other people up. You don't have to stab other people in the back. You don't have to power play. You don't have to talk bad about other people because just know that your actions and your words speak for yourself and know that what is for you, you will get. It may not be in your timing, but you will get it eventually. So that abundance mindset is, is really huge to me. And then, of course, have your business mindset and be and have your productive mindset, I would say, are two other ones that I would say. Make the most of your time. Be as productive as you can. Uh, make sure you take time for yourself mm. uh, and those things that energize you. Don't burn yourself out because at the end of the day, I know this is going to sound bad. And if there's managers who are going to listen to this, they're probably going to be upset with me when I say this. Mind you, I was a manager. At the end of the day, the organization, it's about the bottom line. So you could be doing 70, 80 hours and they got to cut people, you might be the one cut. So mm. was it worth putting in those 70 to 80 hours that took you away from your family mm. for an organization that at the end of the day, they're going to do what's best for their business. So just know yeah. that. So make sure that you, you make the most out of your time and take time for yourself and really work in what you love and what you have a passion for and have that desire to not only serve yourself but serve others, but do it with boundaries. I would say those would probably be my top five. Top five. Okay, you've got more beyond that as well. Okay. There's a lot more. <laughs> no, the, 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 that's some really nice stuff there. Business mindset, gratuity, productivity, you know, and, and, and what was really nice there is, you know, when people hear the word productive, productivity, they sort of do get that impression that, you know, we're trying to get as much out of you as possible. So it's nice that you said, you know, just making the most of your time, like finding stuff that energizes you alongside of that bottom line organization stuff, abundance mindset. Yeah. Share knowledge right um i don't think any of us really actually have any particular unique knowledge do we you know um we're just not at that level so share talk uh, another word that sort of popped into my head is cooperation a bit of a slang word but you know 
there are some people out there who have not necessarily competing businesses, but are in the same line of business. And yeah, yeah. it's 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 okay to share amongst yourselves. No, I really I really like those. Um, you, you've mentioned some skills already, just broadly around soft skills and things like that. But are there any other skills that are that are sort of jumping up for you and saying, me, me? Yeah, so this is one where actually you're going to be a guest on my podcast uh, coming up here in October on this topic. That's and this right, topic is yeah. to my heart, diversity, equity, and inclusion. So here's the thing. This is another a term, diversity, equity, and inclusion. First, it was diversity and inclusion, and then equity was was added in there that a lot of people think is a buzzword as well, right? It was a hot topic. It was definitely a hot topic in 2020, and we kind of got over that hump, and I'm seeing the same sort of uh, focus on it that I was seeing before 2020. Diversity, equity, and inclusion is really not just about race. I know race comes up a lot in the diversity conversations. It is a big component of it, and there's still a lot of work that needs to be done there, no doubt. But diversity, equity, and inclusion to me is really embracing everyone's differences, mm -hmm. making sure everyone has the same opportunities, and in, in, in creating that inclusive environment where people feel that they can bring themselves to work. Now, I'm not going to say bring your whole self to work. I've heard that a lot. Well, I should be able to bring my whole self to work. I may not want your whole self at work because your whole self might be a little bit much, right? So it, 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 some of the things we do outside of work need, there's a time and place. That's what I'm really trying to say. There's a yeah. time and place for, for everything. And so, but you should be able to come to work and feel that you have a voice, you feel comfortable, you feel embraced, you don't feel that you are getting any sort of prejudice, discrimination, stereotypes on you. We all have bias and it's going to happen, hopefully not intentionally, but there are some situations where it's very intentional, where people have conscious and unconscious bias. But the reason why diversity, equity, and inclusion is so powerful in project management work, we're doing transformational solutions. Imagine everybody bringing their own diverse perspective, mm. their own diverse skills, their own diverse thoughts and you have a room full of all of that, you have the best of the best of the best, and you get all of this information, and imagine the type of product you will create for your consumers because you've listened to all of these different perspectives. Because to your point, we all have to cooperate, right? We have to collaborate, and I might think of something that you didn't think of, and then you might think of something that's like, well, have you considered this? And I'm like, oh, I didn't. You're a different type of consumer, right? The way you want products delivered to you could be very different than the way I want products delivered to me. And so having that in the room is great. It is okay to have people who don't always agree with you. It's okay to have a devil's advocate in the room. It's, good. it's okay to have a person, it's very good to have that. And it's great to have a person who will credibly challenge you, who will make you think outside of your normal way of thinking, who will make you get uncomfortable. And it's okay to be uncomfortable. You just gotta get comfortable with being uncomfortable, but you need that. And so diversity, equity, and inclusion is really a big topic to me because we struggle with that, not only in business, but personal. We still have issues personally. You see it all over social media. Some of the things I see people say, I'm just like, wow, that's amazing. And the bad thing about it is people will use that and judge you for that, right? So let's say you put something on social, Joe, that I feel is very offensive. I'm probably going to look at you a little different. Mm. I'm gonna, or, or 
I consider us friends. So I would actually have a conversation with you first. I'd be like, so do you really mean for that to come off that way? Right. Is yeah. that really how you feel? And if you tell me that's how you really feel, I'll be like, wow, I didn't know that about you. Right. And so then that could really change or alter that, that relationship because you're seeing those sort of interactions, but it's really important to embrace people's difference and not try and mold somebody into who you are who you want them to be. So this is what I'm going to say to the hiring managers out there. Again, I used to be one. I still am one. When you hire for diversity, do not manage to assimilation. If you are hiring for diversity, let that person come in with the diversity that you loved. Mm. Don't try and change them now to assimilate so you're comfortable. Mm. That defeats the whole purpose of hiring diversity. And again, diversity is more than just race. Diversity is gender. It's it's uh it's skill set. It's a lot. It's so experience. That's I, it, it's it is. education. It's it's a whole ton of things. Um, you used the word mold there, and I, and I'm go, I'm gonna use that as my the little analogy. in here. <laughs> um, there's a job description for an organization that they put out there for people to fill to be a BA. It's put in the newspapers, it's put on whatever uh, recruitment websites, right? There's a job description. That job description is like a cookie cutter, right? It says, this is who we're looking for. This is the experience they must have. This is how much experience they must have. This is how much education that they have. So I feel like we've got little chance of attracting the best sort of kind of diversity because we've already narrowed the field down by that point. I mean, if I just take education as a simple thing, right? A lot of places say you need to have a university degree in order to get like, you know, as a basic requirement to even get an interview. Whereas you look around at some of the most successful people, perhaps when it comes to business, entrepreneurship and stuff like that, they left school at 16, they left school at 18. So are our job descriptions that we put out there really encouraging diversity or are they a sort of block that, that's standing in the way of that? I am so glad you asked me this question because I have a personal story on this. Okay. So, and and I a hundred percent agree. I'm gonna answer, I'm gonna ask answer your question with this. Yes, some of the job descriptions that are written go against diversity and inclusion. Put it out there. So here's my example. So when I was going through my career at the financial institution, I wanted to be in management. I wanted to be a form. I wanted the formal title of manager. I was doing the work of a manager, but I didn't have that formal title. So that's what I was going for. Here's where I would always run into issues. The job description would expect you to have this many years of manager experience. For, and they would literally put in there formal manager experience. So how many direct reports have you had that directly reported to you? How many managers reported to you from a team perspective? That would always knock me out because I didn't have a formal title. I didn't, if you were to look in the HR system, I did not have direct reports underneath me. I looked like an individual contributor, though I was managing a plethora of BAs at one point and, and other team members. The reason I finally got my break for a manager position is because the manager who wrote the job description 
didn't ask for a manager. She said, I need you to have this many years of leadership experience. Okay. So she didn't care if you managed people yeah. formally or not. I need a leader. That's what I need. I need someone who can lead. I was like, oh, I could do that all day long. That's not a problem, right? I had my resume spoke to that. The volunteerism I did spoke to that. That was what got me the interview. And then this is, again, we can be critical of ourselves, right? So I put a lot of pressure on myself. I was like, Paula, it's rare you ever see a job description written where they're not looking for formal manager. Mm -hmm. This is, this is your only shot. You got to knock out every interview. You got to do everything right. And I nailed it. I did. I worked really hard and prepared really hard. And I nailed it. The last interview I had with the panel, an hour later, I got the job. And so that's to say to managers out there or those who are writing job descriptions, whether you're a recruiter at HR, to your point, Joe, you have to use terminology and language that will get the diversity in the door yeah. that you want to see. Because if you make it too rigid, you're yeah. knocking out a ton of talent that could be a great fit. But because of how you've written the job description, you'll never see yeah. them. You'll never know because they're going to knock themselves out. Yeah, they, they won't get through. And then um, so, so that mold was one word you used. The other word that you dropped in there was bias as well. So one of the biases that we have, particularly when we recruit people, so even now, now I've maybe opened the gates a little bit wider to, to allow a bit more diversity in. Um, one of the biases that we have is that we tend to hire people who remind us of ourselves, right? And so then we've got a team of 10 Joes. And I mean, that's not very good for anyone, right? Um, what can we do about some of those biases? How can we be more aware of them so that we don't just do that familiarity safe kind of thing? So first of all, you answered the question right there where you said, how can we be aware of them? First of all, you have to be aware of them. So number one is understanding what biases are out there. So you did that assimilation bias, right? Which a lot of us are guilty of. I want to hire somebody who's just like me because then I know how to manage them or mm. how to work with them. They, they'll, they'll agree with everything I say. I don't have any issues. I can get work done and I can do it the way I want to do it, right? Okay, yeah, that's the worst person to hire actually. Yeah. But that's how some of us think, right? So you have to be aware of what those biases are. And there are a lot of biases out there. Once you are aware of them, you have to figure out some strategies to counter them. But you also need, this is the key, somebody to hold you accountable. So if I see you in a meeting and I see you either treating someone a certain way or if I see that you're hiring and I'm a part of your team that's helping with the hiring and I feel that you are not being as open as you should be, I should be able to challenge you on that, right? In a nice way. It doesn't have mm -hmm. to be rude or anything. Just challenge you on that. Well, are you aware that because you said this, that could actually produce this action or behavior, right? So you, so you need to know that. But I do think the most important part is to call people out. Now, when it comes to hiring, like when you talk about hiring, this is where panels are very, very important. Okay. I actually would not ever hire without doing one panel. And the reason being is because the other people are going to call me out on my stuff, right? Mm. So there have been people that I've really liked in an interview and my blinders go on. I'd be like, no, nah, <laughs> this is the person I want, right? I want yeah. this person. And then you sit down in a panel of three or four of you and you hear the the feedback from the panelists, you're like, y'all saw that? I didn't see that at all. That's a concern. That never would have came up to me as a concern. And then you start to reevaluate. Okay, so did I have some biases coming in there? Because I was so bent on this is the person I want. 
that I missed some of the most obvious things that I shouldn't have missed. So anytime I did hiring, I'd have a panel because the panel is what sort of balanced me out and kept me from not allowing my biases to potentially overlook someone that's really great. Yeah. I remember hiring someone on my team that was over 60. Yeah. They were shocked. (laughs) You were the best candidate. I mean, I just, there's, you know, once we thought about it, yeah, you might retire soon. So yeah, I might be doing this again in another two to three years, but imagine the knowledge I can get out of you in those two to three years that can go to the team, make the team stronger. And then we'll deal with whenever you decide to, to head out, we'll decide, we'll deal with that then. Right. But those are the sort of things you have to look at. So I think a panel is key when you're doing hiring to keep you balanced. Keep you accountable, keep you honest. And, and and as you say, you know, I, I do think you sort of just added a nice, other little thing there. Often we seem to like hire for permanent, like they're going to stay 20, 25 years, like hire for life. And that's mm-hmm. not how jobs go. People don't stick around like that, um, or at least not as many people as they used to. Um, one thing that just, um, just to end off on here, really, that I think you're sort of bringing through in, in a couple of different ways is that we're a global citizen these days. We're a citizen of the world right it it's beyond the the organization mm-hmm. boundaries it's beyond the the boundaries of of the country do you feel that sort of community that sense of extension across across the world now i do you know there's a lot of things that are going on right i mean you've got adrian reed and and, and christina doing all these amazing things that are putting us together. You had uh, Adrian and Vince doing the serendipity conference that allowed all the BAs to come together at a time that that was really rough. You've got our friends out in Belgium who do the BA cafe every Friday morning, trying to get people to together and and formulate. I, I do believe there's a lot of things going on globally that has made the business analysis community even stronger. And we're actually seeing some up and comers and new risers, right? I remember when I started, in the circuit, the speaking circuit in 2009, it was pretty much the same people that you saw a lot wow. of, right? Now, when I look at some of these conferences, I've, I'm seeing people who are either brand new or who have come up through those ranks. And now they're doing a lot of a lot of speaking and things of that nature. And I think that's great because all of us experience business analysis differently in the organizations that we work in. Uh, for example, I'm more in the entrepreneurial space right now, right? I'm, I'm running my own business. I'm the director of operations for another. And it's it's very different than being in a corporate world. It's mm-hmm. a different way of thinking. It's different tasks that you're doing. It's very different. But I'm still using business analysis day yeah. in and day out. But I still feel that I have a voice. I'm still a thought leader in the business analysis mm-hmm. community. That hasn't left because I've shifted uh, different areas. So I, I do believe that from what I've been seeing, especially on social, I love it. Another thing I love that people do, and let's keep doing more of this, is we're sharing each other's information. We're tagging people in our posts. People know, hey, this was a great article I read. Um, Here are some great articles that that I read from from over the last few months, and they're sharing it, and they're tagging us, and we're able to communicate and have conversations and make comments and all of that. We need to continue to keep doing that because I believe that only makes us stronger. So I I love what what I'm seeing. I can't respond to all the stuff that's out there. No, it's completely. But 
Yeah, there's certain people that I definitely watch, and when I hear, I see something post, I'll comment, right? Yeah. You're one of them. Uh, Robert Thacker is another one of them. There's certain people yeah. that I do watch um, pretty, pretty, pretty heavily, like Adrian and Christina and, and, and Angela Wick and, you know, individuals like that. But um, there's also other people that I watch that are up and coming that yeah. I think is, is pretty cool to just watch them them grow and bring a new a new perspective. The only thing I'll say about that, about community though, is just let's continue to be kind and we're not always gonna agree. It's yeah. okay to agree to disagree. We don't have to be mean about it. We don't have to be snarky about it. We don't have mm -hmm. to be disrespectful for, to each other. You don't have to agree. That's the beauty of diversity, equity, and inclusion. So I, you know, I don't agree with what you just said, but I do appreciate you bringing up this different perspective, even though I haven't bought into it and I don't agree with it. Um, some of the comments that I've seen can get a little bit interesting. And so typically I stay out of those posts because uh, I don't want to be, <laughs> be yeah. pulled into that stuff. But let's yeah. yeah, let's just keep it fine because at the end of the day, we all add value. Whether you agree with it or not, we add a value in our own way. So let's just continue to keep doing that and supporting yeah. each other. No, it, indeed. And it's almost back to your... Um gratuity to your abundance um mindsets um i appreciate you coming on today and sharing the paula bell mindset with us um <laughs> it's been a great conversation i look forward to the next time we catch up paula i do as well thank you for having me joe